the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside my guest co-host today, Steve Koble. Steve is the pastor of teaching, discipleship, and spiritual formation at Renewal Church of Chicago. Steve, I guess we could call you our regular guest co-host now. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Glad to be with you. Um, excited to to chat about all the things that we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and, and we want to make sure that everybody knows where your church is. So you're at Renewal Church in Chicago. Remind us where we can find uh, where we can find Renewal Church. Yeah, so if you have been to Rush Hospital or heard of Rush Hospital, uh, we're about a stone's throw away from there, 1950 West 13th Street. So just uh, just south of uh, Roosevelt there. Okay. And as people probably remember from uh, when Steve was on last week, Steve is a new dad with a three-month-old. We will talk about his first Halloween as a dad here in a little bit later in the show. Uh, but uh, it is good to have Steve back with us uh, today. Hopefully, everybody out there had a great Halloween yesterday. Uh, and now we are on to something, Steve. Were you even aware? I don't know what tradition you were raised in. But were you aware even that November 1st is something called All Saints Day? Did you even know that? I don't think I I don't think I was. I was raised Catholic and then became uh, kind of evangelical as oh, really? uh, when I gave my life to Jesus, 18, 19 years old. So I'm like I'm like just coming back around to some uh, some of these kind of ideas. Yeah, I grew up in the evangelical church, uh, Christian and Missionary Alliance, and I never knew of All Saints Day either. Our Anglican friends, they're just kind of uh, rolling their eyes at us right now. But hey, we're learning, right? <laughs> we're learning. Uh, and with that in mind, one of the um, most um, important or uh, well-written Anglican uh, people right now is Tish Harrison Warren. She actually gets to write at the New York Times, amongst other places. Uh, and she wrote just today uh, at the New York Times, or just yesterday, we remember saints because they're a lot like us, talking about All Saints Day. And she says, most major Christian holidays focus on an event in the life of Jesus. But All Saints Day, which falls on November 1st, is fixed on stories of his people. Though the day is understood and celebrated differently in different traditions, most people in my denomination, that being Tish, uh, which is Anglicanism, understand the term saint to include both canonized heroes and average Christians. And so therefore, it's a religious holiday. All Saints Day is surprisingly earthy, she says. It reminds me that for all of us, so-called religious and non-religious people alike, faith and spirituality are shaped in profoundly relational ways that no one is a free thinker. None of us come to what we believe on our own. I'll stop there, Steve. I, I just love that as I was reading that. I was just reading that to kind of learn about All Saints Day. But yeah. really what she talks about is what we can think about in this day is, uh, is the men and women who have helped us in our past and also who are kind of helping us now. And it reminds us uh, that the church is a communal thing. It is a relational 
thing. You're a pastor, right? So yeah. uh, talk to the people out there, the, the vital importance of community and other believers in our lives. Oh, man. Uh, you know, the scripture says uh, as in Genesis, uh, let us make man in our image. Mm. And as people made in the image of God, and you think about us as followers of Jesus and uh, who we believe God to be as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit means that God has been in relationship within himself uh, for all eternity. And so, like, he's created us in his image, and so we're created for a relational connection. So the kind of idea of uh, this individualistic, autonomous uh, kind of culture that we live in is is just antithetical to what the scriptures point us towards. And so when you look at the the New Testament, you got 59 one another passages Mm. and it implies that like the way to live out Christianity is in community and uh, the greatest uh, influencers for our spiritual maturity is going to be like the Holy Spirit working in us in community. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's one of the hard parts that COVID has really rocked a lot of us in churches is that it's taken away that community and kind of we're all uh, kind of trying to feel around right now going like, what's it look like to live communally now? What's it yeah. look like to be together now as churches? Some churches have been open for a while. Some are still kind of walking into it. Uh, but Steve, what about that man or woman out there who's listening going, listen, I got, I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to the best preachers in the world. I can listen to worship music at any time. Uh, I've got a Bible reading plan on my phone. That's all I need. I got enough technology that it's just mm-hmm. me and Jesus. Uh, to be honest, you know, this person thinking other people kind of annoy me. I, I don't really, you know, it makes my life more complicated. Um, think about that. Talk up to that person out there right now. Who's like, listen, technology allows me to kind of cut out other people. And it's just kind of me and Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say that I, I understand. And that really, it's a wonderful thing. You know, Brian and I might not be the best preachers in the world, but technology means that you can get connected to some of the get greatest teaching in the world. Um, but at the same time, you're created to uh, experience the fullness of all of the spiritual gifts within a local church. Mm. So when you're uh, doing your own thing with Jesus and you're podcasting and listening, you're consuming a lot of information, but there's not a real practical a- a space for you to live those things out. Yeah. And so you're consuming, consuming, consuming information, but that doesn't mean that your heart is being changed. And one of the things that's so vitally important about the local church in general is that all of the gifts of the Holy spirit are represented in that community of faith. So, um, you know, it, it goes back to that first Corinthians 12 passage, like, uh, will the hand say to the foot, you know, like you, you, like you need all of the different body parts of, uh, the community of faith in order to grow up in the spiritual maturity that you're supposed to, uh, look like. And I can just recall as, even as a, a new believer mm-hmm. coming out of college ministry, sitting around a bunch of people who probably had the gift of evangelism, um, being like, all right, so I'm supposed to model myself. And, and I, I know that I'm called to be a pastor, but I'm not a vitally uh, connected person in a local church. It's like I was spinning my wheels for a few years because I never had that outlet to actually utilize the gifts that God had given me. And I had never been affirmed in community from other people that I had had that gift. Oh, that's and good. So it's just vitally important to, you know, and if, if, 
the local churches you've been a part of aren't, you know, any good, <laughs> find some that are. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head uh, earlier when you talked about the number of passages in the New Testament that talk about one another, one another, one another. Yeah. It's never just me and Jesus doing our thing. It's always uh, communal. And uh, let me read how Tish ends this uh, this. Uh, opinion piece that she wrote. She said, all saints day reminds me that God meets us saints and sinners, despite our contradictions and makes good out of haphazard lives. It tells me that all of us, even the best of us are in need of unimaginable mercy and forgiveness. The church is first and foremost, a community of forgiven sinners, writes theologian uh, Gilbert Milliander. It is not a community that embodies the practices of perfection. Uh, but instead a body of believers who still live in the flesh, who are still part of the world, suffering the transformations affected by God's grace on its pilgrim way. Recalling the stories of st- of saints is, in the end, a celebration not of perfection, but of grace. She's just a phenomenal writer, helping point us to the importance uh, of All Saints Day. Even for those of us who didn't grow up in that tradition, uh, it is good day to remember the people who've uh, kind of helped us along the way. Well, I'm excited to be joined today again by my guest co-host, Steve Coble. And Steve and I are going to spend some time next with Dr. Michael Mantell. He's the president and CEO of Living Water International. We're going to talk to him about his new book called Thirsting for Living Water, Finding Adventure and Purpose in God's Redemption Story. We're going to do that with Michael Mantell next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm, and Steve and I are thrilled to be joined by the president and CEO of Living Water International. He is also the author of a new book called Thirsting for Living Water, Finding Adventure and Purpose in God's Redemption Story. His name is Dr. Michael Mantell. Michael, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, it's so good to have you with us. Hey, I kind of gave your bio a little bit there, but could you just uh, introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better? Well, I am delighted to serve as uh, president and CEO of Living Water International. We are a faith-based water ministry. We uh, work in 18 countries. We've been around for about 31 years. Mm. We we bring water uh, and do so through uh, local churches. so far, about nearly 7 million people have uh, safe water and have experienced the living water, Jesus Christ, through our, our work with uh, and uh, through partnership with churches. Wow. Michael, that's unbelievable. Uh, help us understand the ministry. Before we get into the book, help us understand that ministry a little bit more, because people might be like, what do you mean you get water? How do you get water? <laughs> what exactly do you guys do? Because I know I've seen what you guys do. It's really life-changing work. Help us understand the ministry some more. So we are an organization of about 300 uh, national staff. We work in Latin America and the Caribbean, in Africa, and in South Asia. Um, So we have regional teams and country teams. What we do is we pick a geographical area of high need. Um, We work in that area about 50 to 100 kilometers across for five to seven years. We do a baseline study, determine how much water people have, what quality it is, how the sanitation and hygiene of the community uh, looks, um, how engaged is the local church. And then we 
we work to drill water wells. We harvest rainwater. We uh, treat water. Um, we tap uh, springs. But what, whatever the technology is that works best for the community, we work with the churches in that community, the municipalities in that community, and we work to bring safe ongoing water to the community members that previously did not have uh, safe water. That's awesome. Michael, can you tell us just a little bit about what was the motivation for you writing this book? You know, Steve, it started out a little different than what sustained me and ultimately what kept me going. But initially, about three, four years ago, I was sitting with my team and uh, we were talking about how church is so central to what we do, but most even our church partners didn't realize how integrated uh, water and the gospel are in the communities in which we work. And we thought, hey, we need to update uh, the pastors because um, I think the pastors thought we were drilling water wells rather than bringing life in the name of Jesus uh, to these low-income communities. So I, I left for a little bathroom break, and when I come came back, my, my colleague said, and you, you got to write a book about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I just kind of chuckled because, you know, as, as you'll see in the book, um, I was not in any position to write a book. I just didn't have the bandwidth at the time. It was a very uh, difficult uh, series of events. And um, so initially it was to really to tell the story of Living Water, but then as I began to go back in my own life and, and through my memories of God's work around the world, it became a celebration of, of what the church is doing globally. And I got so excited about telling the story, uh, the positive story of the church in the world. Uh, that's, that really brought hope to me, and it really sustained my writing efforts. And then ultimately, when it got hard, because it always does get hard, is I just felt the Lord encouraging me in my spirit to just tell the story of his faithfulness and invite others to tell their stories as well. And that's that's what got us over the finish line. Oh, that's awesome. Michael, I love that idea of uh, kind of highlighting what the church is doing around the world. You know, a lot of times uh, Steve and I are both pastors and a lot of times you could just become so focused on your own church or your own area and the struggles and this and that help paint a picture for people out there of what the global church, what is happening in the global church right now, what God is actually doing around the world. Well, I think it's best to look geographically. You know, if you start at a community level, the churches with whom we're working are uh, identifying uh, locations for water points. They're organizing uh, WASH uh, committees. A WASH is just an acronym for Water Access, Sanitation, and Hygiene. They're organizing these committees. They are uh, teaching uh, biblically-based uh, curriculum to help people improve their sanitation and hygiene. They're inviting people into community um, as a church. So at the community level, the church is very active. So these are in the 18 countries in which we work. At the national level, we seek to align our strategies with the, the national strategies of assemblies and denominations and mother churches to, to work together to proclaim and demonstrate God's love. And then at the global level, we just want to tell the stories and invite churches of various means, uh, uh, prayerful churches, uh, churches to invest their time, invest their resources 
to, to really participate in this huge movement of the Holy Spirit to bring uh, living water in, in very difficult places. And we can go on and talk about what does the church look like in Latin America and what we've learned from them and what we've learned from the African church or the South Asian church. But the, the big story is God is active through his church. And sometimes that's not visible. So what I hope to do in the book is try to make it, uh, you know, God's church's actions a little bit more visible at the community, national and, and global levels. Mm-hmm. And Michael, when did you know that that water and this kind of ministry was what you wanted to give your life to? Help us understand how God kind of got a hold of you around this exact topic. Well, about 35 years ago, 37 years ago, I was a young business person. I was working in Ann Arbor, Michigan for the owner of Domino's Pizza. We were doing real estate development, business startups. And I went on a trip to Senegal as a lark. I just wanted to follow a, a donation that uh, the owner had made for a water well that I convinced him he ought to do. And I was afraid the money wouldn't get well spent. And so young business guy got on an airplane, uh, went to uh, West Africa, to the uh, country of Senegal. And what I saw there blew my mind that there was this whole community, uh, Wolof tribes people, that were suffering. They had no access to water. Water was right underneath the sand a few hundred feet down, but they didn't have the resources to to get that water. Right. And what I saw was water was the initial uh, change agent in their lives. Water led to health. Healthy kids were in school. Kids in school had a chance at life. And what really blew my mind was when we when we drilled that water well, uh, this uh, pastor, a Vietnamese pastor, preached the sermon of the water life. Uh, it was translated to Wolof, it was translated into French, it was translated into English for me. And in that moment, I saw God doing impossible things. He was bringing together people, providing new physical life and in introducing people to spiritual life all in that moment. And I was so blown away by God, the master strategist. I just started praying that, hey, I want to work for you, Lord, and uh, see you do these amazing things more frequently. And that was a three-year prayer that ultimately uh, led me to World Vision. I moved to Chicago in, in your neck of the woods uh-huh. and uh, worked there for about 20 years and and then moved on to Living Water International down here in Houston. Oh, it's so exciting. Dr. Michael Mantell is the president and CEO of Living Water International, the author of a new book called Thirsting for Living Water, Finding Adventure and Purpose in God's Redemption uh, Story. You can learn more about Living Water International at water.cc. That's water.cc. Uh, as I said earlier, Steve and I are both pastors, so I guess on a very practical level, uh, what's it look like to partner with Living Water International? What are some of those opportunities for churches and for individuals? I think the first step, uh, Brian and Steve, is uh, to just begin to uh, uh, build the awareness of your uh, congregation on the, the issues of water, the limited access that people have to water. 785 million people uh, do not have clean water around the world. And when we move into sanitation and hygiene, it gets even more challenging. Two billion people 
don't ha- understand germ theory. They, they're not caring for their uh, water source or containers effectively. So th- they're not healthy. And uh, just building the awareness of the need for water, sanitation and hygiene, but also raising awareness of what the church is doing in so many of these low income neighborhoods, these rural communities. Um, building awareness, I think, is step one. Step two is to just invite people to engage, um, whether it's virtually now, you know, post COVID, you know, just interacting with people via, uh, you know, Zoom. But also uh, uh, we host or we had been hosting about 2000 people a year um, from North America on one week immersion learning experiences in, in seven countries in Latin America, Haiti, the Dominican Republic and in Africa. And just taking that trip. So many uh, eyes are open when we cross culture and geography and economic uh, stratus. You know, so I would have people engage and then ultimately um, find a way to participate uh, financially and through prayer um, as we invest our, our prayers and our resources in this great work of the global church where we stay connected, we stay involved. Michael, can you speak to us a little bit about, you know, some of uh, the folks that are listening may be uh, familiar with different ministries that do what in their minds might be similar things like World Vision or Compassion International. Can you uh, speak specifically to maybe what the distinctions of the organization that you uh, lead uh, compared to those organizations and what might be similarities? You mentioned a couple of great uh, ministries. We've, uh, I'm an alma mater of uh, World Vision, and I've got dear <laughs> friends across uh, Compassion International, um, great organizations. Uh, what Living Water does is we, we, we only do one thing, and that is um, WASH, the acronym for Water Access, Sanitation, and Hygiene. And that is the demonstration of God's love. And we share the gospel through our local church partners, which is the proclamation of God's love. So we seek to do work as Jesus did, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel through wash. And so we're good at it. We've been doing it for 31 years. We have uh, skilled local teams of drillers, trainers, health workers, of course, finance and HR people. We're very efficient and effective in our work, and we're committed. The church is central um, to what we do, and we measure our outputs. We go in with a baseline study, and over five to seven years, we measure the improvements in people's water access, sanitation, hygiene, the perception of the church, the engagement of the church um, over that time. And so uh, I believe that we are um, the closest to engaging with the church to impact real change through WASH. And we have a single focus on that. And so if if someone is interested in the impact of water, sanitation, and hygiene, if someone really wants to engage through the local church to share and uh, the gospel through word and deed, I believe um, we're a very good partner to do so. That's that's really our distinction. That's awesome. Mike, uh, 
Does one story stand out to you? Is there one story from years ago or the, maybe the last trip you went on or, or something you heard uh, where we could even like kind of see that family, their life was transformed. Everything changed because of what we did. Any stories that stand out to you? Well, I love my uh, brothers and sisters in Zambia. And um, I was recently um, reminded of a story um, when I was in uh, Michigan last week, uh, an old friend of mine who's now in parliament in Zambia, Princess uh, Kasune Zulu, was reminding me when we were uh, traveling to Zambia together um, uh, some years ago, and we visited a community um, that was um, hauling um, their water from a river, which was about a, a 15 minute one way walk. And so what happens there is, you know, uh, usually a young girl um, would, will get like a jerry can, a five gallon gas can, hoist it on her head and walk for 15 miles, usually in a risky environment, you know, for her own safety, Uh, gather that water. And usually the water is, uh, not safe, but it's the only water they have. She would put it on her head and she would, uh, walk back to her community and, and might spend uh, an hour, an hour and a half um, hauling that water and might do that uh, two or three times a day. In this particular village, um, you know, the, the story ends up tragically. And I, I even hesitate to share this story because it, it's, it's so kind of shocking. Uh, this young girl went to collect water on, on one occasion and she didn't come back. And, um, you know, we uh, took a look into the, the situation there and we learned that um, she was taken by a crocodile. Oh, my she, gosh. She was hauling the water um, out of the river. She lost her life. And, you know, speaking with her parents, uh, you know, of course, they were grief stricken and um, it impacted their lives. It impacted their ability to work. It impacted you know, their livelihoods. And, um, you know, while that is an unbelievable, tragic situation, what, where we celebrated was that the same community was able to uh, partner with Living Water, the local church and the municipalities to get an access to drill a water well in their community. They no longer needed to take that walk because that water was close. Their other children had uh, safety. They had um, access to school because they weren't spending all day hauling water. And the story gets better and better as the water resources provided, you know, water for farming. It provided water for bricklaying. And this lovely couple were able to build a farm, um, even employ. They've been wow. <laughs> they're employing 17 people today in their farm. And while they still grieve the loss of their daughter, um, now it's been about 10 years later, they're celebrating, you know, the new life that that water has brought not only to their family, but to their entire community. Wow. Thank you for sharing that story. That's that is really powerful. Again, Dr. Michael Mantel is the president and CEO of Living Water International. He's also the author of a new book called Thirsting for Living Water, Finding Adventure and Purpose in God's Redemption Story. I'd encourage you to go pick that book up.
You can learn more about Living Water International at water.cc. And you can learn more about Michael at michaeljmantel.com. That's michaeljmantel.com. Michael, this has been wonderful. It's been great to hear about your organization. Thank you for all you guys do. And uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. It's my pleasure, Brian and Steve. You have a great afternoon. You as well. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. And I am thrilled to be joined uh, by Sarah Lee. Uh, Sarah is joining us to talk about the Global Church Forum that's coming up on November 5th and the 6th. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah. Hey, before we get into the Global Church Forum, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, so I uh, was born and raised in the church. And uh, when I was 25, I decided to move to Chicago to um, have my big break and told myself I was going to stay there for a year. And I ended up staying for 15 uh, I moved back to Arizona just a couple of years ago with a husband and three kids. So I always laugh about how uh, God God likes to change our plans. That's so, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and I was, um, I worked for a brokerage firm for, for almost 10 years in Chicago. And then after that, decided to change direction and go to seminary. So um, went to, to Moody Theological Seminary and uh, mm. now I'm back in Arizona doing, working on the Global Church Forum. Well, that's awesome. And that's a good segue into the Global Church Forum, which we said is happening November 5th and the 6th. Uh, tell us kind of big picture, what is the Global Church Forum? Sure. So um, the Global Church Forum is gathers people from around the globe. We say it's real people that love Jesus that are doing amazing things around the globe. And our hope is that we would uh, be able to get gather people to listen, to hear what uh, people are doing in in corners of the globe that they haven't uh, heard of in a long time or they've never heard of, uh, to find out the really creative things that God is doing in, um, in business, in ministry, in finance, in media, uh, basically in, in all different re- um, regions and all different industries. And our hope is that uh, people would be able to join in, listen, and be challenged and be encouraged and get excited about um, God's creative ways that he's moving around the globe. Mm. Yeah. Before we talk about how people can join it, um, why is it, I'm a pastor out here in the Chicagoland area. And as I always say, you can get very kind of myopic about your own church or about uh, just the church of Chicago or even the church of America. Why is it powerful and really essential for us as Christians to think about the global church and to hear stories about what God's doing around the world? You know what, Brian, that's a great question. Thanks for setting me up so well. Um, <laughs> I have that written down. I'm like, yeah, we can, we get real focused on our own thing. Yeah. But if you read the Bible for, you know, even 10 seconds, you start to see God's heart for the nations. And um, it's really important for us to be reminded that life is bigger than us. The church is bigger than us. And God is obviously bigger than us. And, mm. um, and man, God loves the nations. He has a heart for the nations. He doesn't just have a heart for the United States. Yeah. He doesn't just have the heart for, you know, for one group of people. Um, but his, his desire is that all people would come to know him and, um, and know him as he truly is. And so, uh, it's important for us to gather together to be reminded, oh, there's something else going on that's outside of my, my story, my bubble. Um, and be reminded that God is God is way more creative than mm-hmm. we than we 
ever remember. Um, and it, it, you know, we, we read in the old Testament, you know, the idea of these, um, these altars and Ebenezer's to remember what God has done. And we're encouraged to, to tell stories and, um, remind folks of God's goodness and his faithfulness. And so that's, that's why it's so important to get together and to do this. Yeah. What are some maybe specific things that come to mind about um, areas? What do you see? Where are some areas where the global church is just on fire and different than maybe how it is here? Help kind of paint that picture for us a little bit. It's a great question. So um, one of the um, areas that we'll get to hear um, from is in Southeast Asia, God is doing incredible things. Mm. And it's funny for a lot of us in the States, we think, you know, South Asia, Southeast Asia, we think of Jakarta, places like that. And we're like, oh, that's, you know, a third world country Mm. or whatever it is that we have in our mind. And it's exactly the opposite. There is incredible industry happening there. There are believers that are in charge of billion dollar companies that are, you know, 25 years old. And they're saying, how do I, how do I love my employees? Well, how do I honor them? Well, what does it look like to have a philanthropic arm to my company? Um, how do I do things different than my parents did? Um, and so Southeast Asia is a big place. Another thing, obviously in the news here is Afghanistan, um, and Syria, Iraq, that whole area. We've got, um, a gentleman that's going to be talking about the incredible, humanitarian work that he's doing over there. And we'll get some um, uh, updates on, on the latest of, of what's happening with the pullout in Afghanistan and things like that. So um, just some places that seem to be a little bit forgotten, right? Even Nairobi, Nairobi is turning into the Silicon Valley of Africa. Wow. People don't know that. No. Um, and so to be able to hear how um, entrepreneurs are changing the landscape and they're, they're believers and they're saying, God, we want to, we want to honor you in this how do we do this differently than, than the same old, same old or the status quo or the way that you, the United States has done it. Yeah. And now the global church forum, uh, if somebody invests in those two days before we get to, how do they register and how yeah. do they do that? What's it, what's the setup? Is it all online? Is it speakers? What, what is uh, the setup of the forum? Yeah. So it is uh, 24 hours straight which sounds crazy, but we do that because <laughs> we want to make sure that, you know, the United States is not the one leading things. Yeah. We happen to be producing it um, in Chicago, uh, but we're giving everybody equal opportunity to um, have a prime time spot where they're hearing things and also to be up in the wee hours of the night if they want. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So um, it is speakers and we've got, um, we'll have speakers and then we'll have opportunities for breakouts. If you want to be a part of a global cohort that can discuss what's happening um, what the speaker has addressed. Uh, and then we'll have another speaker coming on for, from a different region of the world, sharing what's happening in their region. We're going to be talking about COVID and the church's response to it, mm. um, which is with, and it's, it's a bunch of medical professionals that are talking about, you know, some of the pain points that they're experiencing in that. So um, there's, and then we'll have opportunities to discuss and process together. We are hoping that people will gather their friends and say, Hey, Let's log in during our primetime hours. Or did you see this speaker? Let's gather together and listen together and then process together. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds powerful. How can people get signed up? How, what, what are the steps? How much does it cost? Where do they go to sign up? Sure. So it's all free. Nice. Uh, they can go to globalchurchforum.city. That's globalchurchforum.city. And uh-huh. they just register. And then one, once you're registered, we encourage you to go through the schedule of speakers and topics 
choose the topics and the speakers that you're most interested in learning about and uh, mark it on your schedule and then gather your friends and watch either together in a room together or do a virtual watch party. It is all online. Yeah. Um, and it's very similar to the millions of meetings we've all had this last year on <laughs> zoom. Yeah. So um, there's, if, if you're not living under a rock, then you you've got that part down. And it's a great way to connect the globe. So that's good. Yeah. Hey, before I let you go, I, I, I do want to ask you about uh, you work at the Grow Center for Church and Mission. Uh, tell us about what's going on at that organization, the Grow Center for Church and Mission. Yeah. So thanks for asking that. Uh, the Grow Center uh, is the short the short term. Uh, we call it that. The Grow Center is really a biblically based place where we um, combine leadership development with innovative entrepreneurial thinking. Um, we use the term entrepreneurial, not as somebody who starts a business, um, not something that's necessary commerce, commerce related, but this is ministry and marketplace leaders who have entrepreneurial mindsets that think outside of the box that want to approach life with a, what new unique way can we approach this problem? Hmm. Um, and so we're gathering folks from around the globe. A lot of them are bivocational pastors that, um, you know, they, they have their day job and, um, you know, and they're running small businesses. Um, and then they're, you know, also preaching on Sundays. And so, um, we want to be able to equip them and we want to be able to say, what if we, we looked at this differently? What if we brought in, um, some unique business, uh, models and mindsets into church to understand how there are different ways of doing things. We look at design thinking. Um, we try to get as outside of the box as we can because, um, I would, I would pose that God is super innovative mm -hmm. and he's super creative. And so what if we were to approach things with a, with a, what if attitude? That's fascinating. Again, that's the Grow Center. You can learn more at thegrowcenter.com, thegrowcenter.com. The Global Church Forum is happening November 5th and the 6th to register. And I'd encourage all of you out there to go check it out. It's free. That's the right cost for a conference. So it's free. <laughs> go to globalchurchforum.city. That's globalchurchforum.city. City. Sarah, it's been great to meet you. I hope it goes great this uh, this forum. And thanks for spending some time with us. Brian, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside my guest co-host today, Steve Coble. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Uh, all right, Steve, we, we can't go too long without talking politics. You and I are both pastors. Uh, you're the pastor of Renewal Church of Chicago uh, down in the city. I'm the pastor of uh, Four Corners Community Church out here in Darien and uh, Downers Grove area here uh, in the suburbs. Uh, and so politics are just something that we deal with because people in our churches, uh, basically everyone's political. But Steve, I think we'd all agree people have become more political and really, more yeah. uh, things have gotten crazier and crazier. And so let me just start here. And we're eventually going to talk a little bit about something Trevin Wax wrote at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, but let me just use that as a jumping off point for you here. How do you at your church, you and uh, your other pastors, how do you guys even talk about politics and political engagement at your church? You know, in the African-American tradition, there's a actually a long history of engaging uh, politics in the pulpit and from the mm -hmm. pulpit. And I, I think part of the reason why um, maybe the past 20 years, it's been kind of taboo in uh, kind of the broader evangelical space 
to address politics is probably because uh, in some ways, like certain things didn't affect us, right? Mm -hmm. Personally or individually, um, especially especially middle-class America, it just kind of feels like, you know, politics, they are what they are. Let, let me stay separated from that. And it's it's interesting because the missiologist Leslie Newbegin uh, a long time ago said that people are going to turn towards the religions of uh, of politics uh, after a while. And mm. so uh, and, and actually view or at least approach politics as uh, a religion. And so I think that we have this this uh, new uh, space that as pastors, like we have to help people navigate um, because there is this sort of syncretistic sort of mashup thing that's happening for people with uh, with their faith and with uh, American politics. So, um, you know, we feel like there's certain uh, certain opportunities that lend themselves to have the um, have the conversation. And so yeah. we, we try to with precision, you know, we we want people to know that we are uh, unashamedly like we're not in one political party, like mm -hmm. unashamedly. We don't believe that the kingdom of God fits into one political party. Um, and so we, we want to help people kind of find that middle ground and make sure that they're not mashing up their political uh, policy or political uh, ideology with their Christian faith. That's good. You brought up the important phrase, the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, we often say, uh, you know, we have a Lord, right? We have a king already, and his name is Jesus. And that goes above our politics. That informs our politics. Uh, but, you know, we, we are living in a world where people, ourselves included, are being bombarded, whether it be social media or cable news, like just by the game of politics, right? And yeah. so where there's winners and losers and, uh, you know, you're either this or that. And, and, and you can start seeing some of the tearing even within our own churches. Uh, so, uh, uh this is the $64,000 difficult question. So I don't even know if you have an answer for it. How do we tell our people to do like when our people are like, all right, what should I be practically doing? How or let's ask it this way. How do I actually live? focused on the kingdom of God when all I'm doing is being bombarded by the kingdom of this world through CNN and Fox news and Twitter and whatever else. Like how practically do people do that? That's a great question. And I will process it out loud as we talk right That's now. That's why we do it. That's the beauty of a show, man. We can just do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it goes back to the conversation um, with like, how do you begin your day? Mm. You know what I mean? I, I, I think that some people, they begin their day with the news and so and and the news that has their uh certain political bent and so it's sort of perpetuating um communication and even even being connected right like whether it's facebook or uh any form of social media like social media is going to represent to you the ideology stuff of the stuff that you click on mm. and so um in order to have like a centrist perspective I think you've got to start your day with the kingdom of God, uh, start your day focused on uh, on Jesus. And and I think that from there, you got to look at the, the policies that you support, um, really understand like why people don't like see the see the why people believe the other thing that they believe. So I think mm -hmm. one of the ways to do that is just not to be like linchpin to one uh, news broadcast, 
I, I think that's really important to at least uh, get multiple perspectives on certain things, even if some, some other perspective has a certain bend. I think it's just helpful to not get dragged into, um, you know, that political mayhem. Yeah. And I think what people out there, what we all need to realize is when we don't get this right, and I would say the the big C church, evangelical church, especially over the last eight, 12, 16 years, whatever it be, uh, has been increasingly not getting this right. When we don't get this right, and instead we kind of, uh, people see us as more uh, politically minded, the kingdom minded, or whatever else it might be, when that becomes our reputation, uh, we really lose a lot of standing in culture, right? Oh, they, they just see us as interested in power. They just see us as uh, a voting block or whatever else. How have you seen that? Or, or what are your thoughts just on what happens when we do not get this right? Brian, I think when we don't get this right, we uh, we bring dishonor to the name of Jesus. Mm, yep, yep. And I think that that's my biggest motivation in terms of, um, wanting to honor God because, you know, we, we can get certain policies and things, uh, in place. And, um, when, when I demonize or I, I look at somebody else as my enemy, mm -hmm. uh, who's made in the image of God, then I've lost the battle. Uh, because how do I do evangelism? How do I reach people for Christ who, who, from our perspective, we, we would say are, are lost. Uh, how do I reach them by, uh, by like criminalizing them or mm. by uh, demonizing them. Yes. Like, it's not possible. So yes. I, I think that when we get to that place, that's the reality of uh, we've, we've put something above Christ in his church. Yeah. That's a great word, man. I think if you can look in the mirror and say that there are brothers and sisters in Christ or other people who you hate because of their politics or you've uh, to use your phrase you've now demonized them uh you're in a bad spot like that's a that's a huge red flag that should cause you to look in the mirror and go okay i think i've made politics my religion yeah i think i've made politics even above the i'm no longer about god's kingdom i am about the kingdom of the republican party or the democratic party or whatever else it might be. I'd encourage people to go to the Gospel Coalition. Uh, Trevin Wax wrote an article entitled, Neither Progressive Nor Conservative, Yes and No, uh, that kind of wrestles with that exact um, that exact topic. But I know for Steve and I as pastors, this is something we wrestle with as individuals, but also uh, in our churches. And speaking of pastors, I want to end the show, Steve, by talking about loneliness uh, Scott Sauls, a pastor who I really respect a lot, he wrote a blog to lonely pastors. We're going to discuss that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Steve Koble, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, we try to talk about, help people understand what the life of the pastor is like, because I think in many ways, it's just like the life of everybody else. Like, uh, it's not more holy. There are certain things that are probably unique struggles, just like most jobs have their unique struggles. But uh, as we end the show, I want to touch on this topic. And Scott Sauls writes about it at his blog, scottsauls.com. Uh, Scott Sauls is a pastor out of Tennessee, author, speaker, uh, somebody that we quote often because he talks often 
about kind of some of the darker struggles that pastors have, including himself, even as he's super successful in the eyes of the pastor world. And he wrote an article, a blog post this week uh, that he entitled this, uh, Many Pastors Are Lonely, Must They Be? That's the question he asks. Uh, Steve, I guess I would start there, especially coming out of COVID in which our churches have taken huge hits and things have been so strange. Do you find pastors to be in, uh, as Saul's paints them, generally lonely as kind of a uh, a larger group, like not every pastor, but do you find yeah. pastors in general to be lonely? Absolutely. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of pastors are incredibly lonely and, you, you know, you're, you're the person who's kind of coordinating and directing people to be in connection with one another. Um, and yet you, you might even feel shame for the, the reality of your experience of, of loneliness. Hmm. Uh, why do you think pastors tend to be lonely people? Because I agree with you. I've got a lot of pastor friends, and I feel it in my own soul that um, that, that it is a job that lends to loneliness. Why do you yeah. think that is? Help people understand that. I think a lot of people aren't sure what we do. Um, mm. You know, I was just reading. Um, I was just reading Eugene Peterson's "The Pastor," uh, his memoir, and just talking about p- people just not being sure. Uh, what it is exactly that you do. And then I, I think uh, another aspect to that is, you know, sometimes the sheep bite and mm. you can be uh, in close relationship with somebody who's not a pastor. And, um, and for whatever reason, they, they use the fact that they know you um, as a way to hurt you. And it can, it can cause you to, to, to move into some kind of isolated space. I think from time to time. And then, and then I also, I think, you know, for some of us, we're introverted people. Mm. And so, um, you know, the, the idea of getting up and speaking to a large crowd is fun, but the, the idea of actually being vulnerable, um, and accessible is scary. Yeah. Um, I, I think the whole sheep biting thing is such an important one, especially as we come out of COVID. Like, there, there's a uniqueness in the pastor profession in which our jobs and our community is so closely tied to one another. Yeah. Uh, and then I've, I, what has hurt me the most, just being bluntly honest here is when people who are my friends leave the church and then leave relationship. It's rarely about them leaving the church. I, people leave churches for all sorts of different reasons. Yeah. Like you said earlier, there are better, there are better preachers than us. There's better leaders than us. Maybe the church is closer to where you live, whatever else it might be. But I've had very, very few people in my life leave my church, but stay in relationship with me. Uh, and that makes you just go, Oh, are all of my friendships contingent upon what you think of me as a preacher? Uh, like are all of my friendships contingent upon? And so you end up needing to try to find your friendships outside of your church and it just gets, uh, really complicated. So Steve, I guess then the uh, difficult question is what do you do to combat this, uh, at your best of times? What do you do to combat this kind of, uh, uh, bent towards loneliness that a lot of pastors have? Yeah. So I'm, I'm an only child, Brian. So I naturally, like when I was a kid, I was like, man, my friends are going to be like my brothers. And that's just, that's just how I'm, I'm like wired up. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. yo, why, why have we not talked? Like, why have we not made time to, to do this? And I, so I think that I have a natural inclination towards uh, fostering friendships and, 
and kind of one of the unique things is that some of the closest friends that I have are pastors or yep, at yep. least have been in vocational ministry at some point in time. And so one of the things that uh, we did over the course of the pandemic is every Thursday uh, night, we would go out and sit around a fire pit um, and hang out and talk. Now, mm. all of these pastors are from different churches. Pastor Derek Puckett is, uh, you know, one of my closest friends. And so he'd be there, but then a bunch of guys just from different churches kind of uh, talking about life and, and staying connected with one another. And, um, and even my, my own pastor, my own mentor, Brian Loritz, he made it a point to always stay connected. So every year um, we do an annual trip. I actually just came from this annual trip in Orlando um, where a group of uh, guys that he mentored and discipled come together and share what's going on in one another's lives. And so some of that for me has been built in like um, my own mentor, like, like, likes to model it and show how important it, it is to stay connected and be in friendship and relationship and, and regularly be regularly being calling, uh, uh, being at, uh, intentional about calling each other and checking in. Um, and some of that, sometimes it's not, it's not, you know, a deep heart level thing. It's just like, Hey, I'm, I'm here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good put. Let's end this way, Steve. Uh, non-pastors out there to COVID has just been a really lonely time for a lot of people yeah. and it's, they're still rocked for it. So I'm thinking of the person driving in their car right now uh, and listening, who's just like, I'm not a pastor, but I am super lonely. Like, I don't know what to do. What's, could you speak a word of encouragement and hope to somebody out there right now who is feeling just really lonely? Yeah. I, I think that, you know, if you're in a local church community I think that one of the one of the most beneficial places for finding friendship is in a small group. Mm. And I think that one of the things that you can do is join that small group and then pursue relationships within that small group. So that means like, hey, I'm I'm getting somebody's phone number and I want to see if they want to go to coffee Mm. and I want to invite them over for dinner. Um, you know, different, different things like that. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes when you get in those situations and those circumstances, like it's not reciprocated, right? And you can get discouraged by that. Um, but maybe that's just not the person that God has the connection for you to have. Um, and so maybe there's, there's somebody else, um, that's in that group that can be that kind of, of connection. And I think that, you know, when you're there for other people, when they're in crisis or where they're in, when they're in difficulty, they tend to reciprocate that affection and that compassion and yes. that love. And so be a good small group member um, mm. is one of the things that I think that can be really, really uh, practical. Um, and then at the same time, I think, you know, if you're not a part of a local church, you're not uh, deeply connected in a local church. Like who who are those people who. Maybe you, you guys just fell out for whatever reason. Um, and, and if they're in the same city, like plan some some time to get together, you know, make a phone call and, and write a note uh, just to say what you think about them and how you've missed them and yeah. send it in the mail. Um, I think that that as much as we feel certain things and because we're an American society, we can be such consumers um, that we want everybody to reach out to us. But I would just recommend reaching out to other people and allow them to reciprocate um, those things because the gesture itself 
can make somebody feel uh, really good about themselves and really good about their day and want to reciprocate that back to you. That's a really good word to end on. I know there's COVID's been weird and it one of the uh, fruits of COVID has just been loneliness. Uh, and so I think those are some really good words. Well, Steve, I'm so glad that you joined us. We're going to do it again tomorrow from four until six. Steve is going to continue to fill in for Aubrey uh, tomorrow. So join us from four until six tomorrow. Until then, have a great day for Steve Koble. My name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good here on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.